get up in a bath of ice I'm a victim of an organized You know it is true You know this time you're never gonna get it But you already stole my heart Yeah, you ripped it and tore it apart You Welcome to Cutthroat Queen's podcast, where all the wingless angels go to after you touch yourself. We are here to take an open and honest look at all things indie horror. My name is Brett Mitchell-Kent, and I am joined by the first human to ever be entirely composed of radishes, Chelsea Pumpkins, and that's it. Our darling Elton Skelter is under the weather, and he's abandoned us. I miss you, Elton. <laughs> we miss you so much, Elton. We miss you. <laughs> that bitch is out of the way. Let's just talk about him. Um, your Pride episode was wonderful. Thank you. Good job You're to you really and Elton nice. and all of our guests. I'm sorry I couldn't make it. It was it was a lot a lot of fun to get to chat with everybody. Um, I've been wanting Ray to be on this for obviously the whole time and i was so excited to finally get her and yes. it was really neat to get to meet the guys from slashic i got to meet ray in person yeah whatever that's not even <laughs> you got to meet a lot of people in person how was that so i went to StokerCon, ah! um, which was not the sole reason but part of the reason i couldn't record earlier this month and it was the most fun i had such a good time I want to go back every year. That was my first time. And it was in Pittsburgh this year, which I had never been to steel city. And uh, yeah, I met tons of people that we have been talking to online for like the past three years in person. And it was wonderful. It felt like summer camp. So for people that might not know, and I'm sure that most of them do, because if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably aware. um, But what is Stoker Stoker Con, I believe named for Bram Stoker himself, um, is, a, is a convention held by the Horror Writers Association. Annual convention, horror focused. There's a t- it's, it seems to really be an event for writers and authors and publishers more so than like horror fans, though I'm sure horror fans would still find some really cool stuff to be a part of. But there's readings, there's panels of people talking about different topics, there's um, like a whole room full of people selling stuff um there's like even a little film festival and it's also where they announce the winners of the annual stoker awards um on the last night of the con yes that is so exciting um so we we knew a few of the nominees but it's very exciting that christy nogle who is kind of like in our little writing circle she's in our little writing group she's probably in a lot of little writing groups but we're going to claim her for this one yes you for her debut novel beulah and we yes. are so proud of her and so excited for her for that oh it was so it was really cool to be there i mean to hear all the winners really um but um so there's a huge room where they do the announcements but it's kind of outside like the hotel bar so a lot of us were kind of just mingling out there <laughs> and like following the announcements so we could like hang out and chat and like eat dinner together and stuff um so like everybody from our writing circles like was going wild when Beulah got announced so Christy we could not be more happy for you so congratulations and she just got announced um as a Shirley Jackson nominee as well so yes she did and who else was it that was um um, so hold on no no I got this um because it's Kelsey was also 
announced. And I've talked about that book specifically on here, and I'm not going to go into too much detail because we are luckily going to be able to speak with Chelsea in a couple of months, or Kelsey, Kelsey. <laughs> in a couple of months. You're Chelsea. She's Kelsey um, right. in a couple of months. So yes, is- congratulations yeah. to all the nominees. There's so yes. many good people up for, I mean, that were up for the Stokers and that are up for the Jackson Awards too. So love to see it. Kelsey was for Bound Feet, right? Yeah. Okay. So yeah, Kelsey, you, uh, for her Shirley Jackson Award is her nominee, nomination, whatever. Nomination, it's yeah. Bound Feet, incredible book. I can't gush right now though. Um, so I'm yeah, planning sorry. to go to those awards too. So I'll come back and report back from those. Ah, it's so exciting. <laughs> so uh, if you had to pick, what would be your favorite part of having been at Stoker? Um, I guess maybe besides getting to see all of the people or was that your answer? Um, I mean, meeting everybody was like just the most fun. Um, there was a lot of like online, like pre event, almost like anxiety of people being like, I'm introverted. I swear. I don't hate you. I just might need to recoup. Like, please come say hi. I swear. I don't hate you. Um, which I totally understand a lot of writers are introverts. Um, Brett, I feel like you're like me. I am one of the extroverts. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not an introvert. No. no uh, so um, I was just going around being like, hi, I'm Chelsea Pumpkins. <laughs> um, like a total nerd, but I met a ton of people that way. Um, made some new friends, which is really fun. And then like obviously connected with um, people that I've known online for years. Um and we were kind of, a few of us were joking, like, I think all these groups of introverts just need like one dedicated extrovert in their friend circle so that we can all meet each other in this <laughs> network. <laughs> so like for me, talking to people is like, it brings me so much joy. I just love having a drink, laughing, like ab- abandoning small talk and just like getting real and having fun. Um, but the panels were also all great that I att- attended. I wish I could have gone to more, um, but you just kind of get busy and caught up. I got to be on a panel, which I was super honored to be asked. So doing that felt like a big accomplishment and it was fun. Um, I was on a panel moderated by Angela Sylvain and it was about micro and flash fiction. So um, I got to talk about, I don't know, my expertise, which I don't feel is earned, but I appreciate being asked. Um, So I got to talk about that for like an hour with some other um, authors and the dealer's room, which is the room where people were selling books and merch and swag and all that was also a ton of fun. Um, I was obviously there to sell, ah, that's what I call horror. Um, but that is not under a big publisher name. So we ended up just like as a group of friends getting a table. Um, so I was at a table with like P.L. McMillan, Ryan Marie Ketterer, um, Bridget D. Brave, um, the Collage Macabre group. Um, we had them on a few episodes ago. Um, Evelyn was there with her book, Le Petit Mort. Um, Andrew F. Sullivan was there. Pat Barb. So like all of us had our books at the table and like <laughs> would take shifts kind of covering it and selling stuff. And like, I don't know, again, as an extrovert, I thought that was fun. <laughs> That some would be people, so much fun. Some people might be horrified being like, hey, come, come come talk to me and buy stuff. But um, I had a good time doing that. Every now and then, very rarely, I get to go to a trade show for work. Mm-hmm. And I thrive. I love <laughs> those. All these people coming by, like me, just pitching the nonsense, getting to yes. chat with people, the swag. Oh, I love it. Yep. I spent far too much money i came home and i was like oh boy i need to like actually <laughs> cool it for a bit 
Um, yeah, so I don't think I had a favorite. All of it was so fun. I had a great time. I believe it's in San Diego next year, right? It is. Yes, they announced that. And I already bought my tickets. So the tickets go up in price as time goes on. So as soon as you listen to this, they will be cheaper than they will be in like six months. So I don't know. If you're interested, I highly recommend it. Um, I also plugged our podcast a bunch and it was really fun. Like I remember at least one conversation. I'll give her a shout out. Katrina Caruth. Um, She just I was sitting down and she just sat with me and was like, hi. And we were just chatting and I was mentioned a podcast and she's like, which podcast? I told her, she's like, I love that podcast. And I was like, oh my God, our first fan. Like I was, it was so fun. Um, but yeah. It was, and talk to other podcasters there. And I don't know. It was just, everything was really cool. You'll love it, Brett. You're coming next year. I'm bringing you with me. Oh, I'm for sure going next year. Yeah. I, the, the struggle this year was that it was over father's day and it was over my husband's birthday. So like, oh, it was God. just. so we can do it but um even if it is over those things next year it'll be fine i'll just he can deal (laughs) so san diego's a little bit more of a like vacation destination i would say than pittsburgh so you could like maybe convince him to come with you like just like bring him along and then be like okay so you go have fun and i'm gonna go have fun (laughs) because you don't care about this at all (laughs) so yeah it'll be fun buy him a ticket to something he likes to do yeah. Oh, speaking of tickets, there was also a Taylor Swift concert at the same time in Pittsburgh, and all of the Swifties were staying at our hotel. So it was this really funny mixture of like everyone dressed in black and in their scary outfits, and all the Swifties like geared up in their air <laughs> in their eras costumes. Like there was one point where the whole lobby bathroom was taken over by glitter because I'm assuming they couldn't check in yet. So and they were all getting ready for the show. And uh, some people I think were like annoyed by it, but I was just highly entertained. And like oh, I was these yeah, little that's... girls in the elevator. I was like, Oh my God, which song are you excited about? And it was so cute. I saw a video online about like there were people on the train maybe in like New York, one of the cities and like they were just regular passengers on the train and then they stopped. And as it was going, you just saw like a line of just hundreds of people waiting to get on the train and the doors open. And then just all these like Swifty fans. And it was just standing room only. So maybe we can get Taylor Swift on our show. Oh yeah. (laughs) I think that's the next move. (laughs) She's indie, right? yeah taylor's version (laughs) um but yeah highly recommend the event like i like i said before it felt like summer camp like just hanging out with friends and like talking nerd talk about writing and reading and all that stuff so and publishing editing you name it exciting um and another um really exciting thing this month is our co-host elton who's missing um, his yes. debut novel is out, <laughs> Life Support, yes. um, and we're really proud of and excited for Elton. And Brett read it already, so you can, oh you can. God. I haven't read it yet. No, it's so good. So it's I actually like, and it, I wasn't supposed to blurb it because, you know, he he's all like, we run the the podcast he's together. Like, you have to love me. <laughs> <laughs> and, but like after I read it, I was like this is I've, I've read a lot of Elton's work I'm a fan and this one though uh it just hits it's it's a slasher but also a mind fuck 
And I can't explain it without giving away too much. But basically, the premise of his novel is it starts out in a support group for people that have, you know, unique illnesses, I guess, of the like the mental variety. Um, Like one person has severe pica. The main character, they they call him dead man because he doesn't believe that he's alive. He thinks he's a walking corpse. There's a guy that has like a a limb that's chaotic and and these are all real illnesses. So he really did his, his research. There's a gal that just randomly pukes all the time. Um, it's not like a bulimia thing. It's just, it happens. There's a girl that orgasms like at the drop of a hat. She just randomly orgasms. Um, a man with, I remember there was like a Grey's Anatomy episode about that orgasm (laughs) (laughs) issue, (laughs) Um, but it doesn't last very long because, uh, it's a slasher. So, our our lovely little guys get slashed. Um, it's disgusting, but incredible and deep and thought provoking, and it is out at this moment on Godless. So check it out on Godless, and then it comes out on Jan. What month is it? July, July seventh, um, on Amazon and everywhere else. Yes, life support, um, Elton Skelter. Go get it. I have to get it. I'm excited. I need to read it. As you know, slowest reader on this podcast. So yeah, he knew, he knew he was like, are you going to read it in time? I was like, babe, you know, I'm not, (laughs) I love you. I will read it. just not on time. So for this episode, we get two separate interviews. Uh, I was already fortunate enough to sit down with John Durgan. He's the author of Accursed Among Us and Inside the Devil's Nest. And then um, he's also got some upcoming projects. We got to chat. So stay tuned. That will be coming up next. And then, um, Chelsea, you're going to get to sit down with Matt Seth Barnes, who did the cover work for both of John's novels and just a bunch of other stuff. Insanely talented guy. So... Uh, you sit down with him tomorrow, right? For this, <laughs> but from our date here. <laughs> Alrighty, so coming up next, like we mentioned, we will be speaking with John Durkin and then Matt Seth Barnes. Waking up in a bath of ice. I'm a victim of an organized You know it is true. You know this time you're never gonna get it. All right. Welcome back. I am joined by John Durgan, the author of Accursed Among Us and Inside the Devil's Nest. Hello, John. How are you doing? Good, good. Thanks for having me. So we are going to be discussing both of your books and then just a little bit about, you know, your your author method. Um, One of the things that's notable about you specifically is I believe Accursed Among Us was your debut, correct? Correct. Right. And you self-published this one. I did. Yes. Very and... successfully self-published <laughs> this one. Um, yeah. it, it seemed to really take off. I read it, I want to say earlier this year, January, maybe. Um, okay. And I, I see that it has a whole bunch of reviews already, which is insanely good for, especially a self-published, you know, any indie level. So what was that like? Self-pubbing your own debut. And it was uh, it was a roller coaster. Uh, I, honestly, I so coming into it, I knew nothing. 
Um, I know we talked offline a bit about how I had a podcast before. I used to pick the brains of horror authors on the side, you know, just uh, after we'd go off the air, I'd just ask them for advice. And so anything I learned was just from like chit-chatting like that, um, you know, like um, editing, uh, formatting, uh, cover arts, like just the stuff you have to do, right? So like I got referred to, so Matt Seth Barnes, he, I have my books with me because I'm a chair, I'm a, I self-promote myself all the time. So, um, <laughs> oh shoot, I got the blurry background on. So anyways, he did all three of my covers. Um, so I got referred to him by somebody. I went on his website. I found his, his art amazing. And, uh, so I knew who I wanted there. Yeah. I got referred to an editor, uh, formatter, all that. Right. So it's a lot of work. Um, you know, and ultimately I, I made sure I gave myself three months, a random number I came up with, but I gave myself three months from when it was released, um, until, or sorry, from when I finished writing it to release day, um, to promote, to get arc readers. Um, I set up a Goodreads page and did a cover reveal like way ahead of time. Um, again, I had no idea if I was doing the right thing or not, but my thought was, if I'm going to get advanced readers, they need somewhere to leave reviews. And Amazon doesn't let you leave reviews early um, for, for us small people, right? Uh, for indie peeps. So um, I'm like, okay, well, I want to make sure they can leave a review on Goodreads. And then I'm like, okay, but did, I want the cover image to pop up every time someone leaves a review. So it gets burned in their head, you know? So I made sure I did a cover reveal nice and early too. And I had almost 50 reviews before release day, um, which blew me away um and it really kind of just hit the ground running from release day um I, was say, I didn't know what to expect i didn't know if i did it right i didn't know if my sales were were uh, you know average above average below average etc so I, I just i was kind of in the dark on all that initially but yeah it it's really impressive especially for you know i i'm a big fan of of authors taking the reins themselves, self-publishing. Um, I think it's going to be the new normal very soon. And stories like yours show how possible it is. You know, if you put the work out there, you make a good product, people will respond. So having 50 reviews for a debut in the indie market is <laughs> incredible. So definitely applaud yeah. you for that one. Thanks. It, it, um, and then, you know, I mean, um, when we're looking at you know, why would I do that? Right. Um, you know, why would I self publish versus go for indie publishing or traditional publishing? My thought coming in was uh, it's enough pressure on myself to even know if I can write a damn book. I've never even attempted, I don't have like hidden manuscripts anywhere. Like this is my first attempt at writing period, <laughs> you know? So uh, I, I didn't want to put that pressure on myself of then trying to shop it and trying to figure out how the heck do I even write a query letter or, um, submit to these publishers so in my mind i'm like if i prove myself obviously it was a gamble on myself if i can self-publish this it does really well well with my next book then maybe i can look to you know working with a publisher and then start to work my way through and i mean my dream someday is to be with one of the big fives be represented you know by an agent uh see if that happens but i mean even even if it's your dream, definitely go for it. But even if it doesn't, uh, I mean, you're making yourself a great name in the, the community. People know who you are. People like your work. Definitely awesome. Um, so for Cursed Among Us specifically, it it, it kind of starts us out with a 
serial killer and you think it's going to be the typical serial killer slasher fair, but then it just completely goes off in the other direction. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's like a weird hybrid, weird in a good way, sorry, uh, of like a serial killer paranormal. Uh, so when you went into this, was the paranormal storyline the main focus, the serial killer? Or did they, you know, were they birthed simultaneously? I, I didn't have both ideas at the same time, but I knew going in that I wanted two ideas to come head to head, just like with Devil's Nest, you know, mm -hmm. it's mob, like real life horror versus, you know, cult supernatural, mm -hmm. right? I, I just, you know, everyone always says everything's already been done in the horror world. All these tropes are overused. So, you know, my way of trying to make it unique is to, mash some together and make it its own thing um so so i knew i wanted to do that but um the idea started with a real life killer because i don't know if you know this yet but newport is actually my hometown growing up uh, and um so it's a real town in new hampshire and oh, all cool. those landmarks in the book are real um so the ski jump and everything all that is actually in in the town um there was a serial killer in newport um and there actually was an Unsolved Mysteries episode based on it. So all that stuff was inspired by real life things. And I, so I knew I wanted to, to go with something like that, but I didn't want it to just be a standard serial killer in a small town sort of thing. Um, partly because I didn't want to take advantage of, of the real thing, but yeah, also <laughs> I'm a Stephen King fan at heart growing up. Right. So I, I always want some of that supernatural type stuff mixed in somewhere. So. Oh, for sure. I mean, it, it's a fine dance. The when you're kind of being inspired by true crime, like paying homage to the crime without being offensive to the victims, it definitely, definitely good. Um, so you went with having it centered around younger main characters, but it's not a YA novel. That's you know, some people would consider that a risk. I think it paid off really well. The way that you wrote the kids was very believable. They had great character arcs. Um, which one was your favorite to write? Of the four? Well, um, so first of all, that group of kids was my friends growing up, uh, <laughs> almost down to the team, like some of the names. I, I did change a couple of the names. Uh, Howie was based off me loosely. I mean, I had to make him more interesting because after the first draft, I'm like, man, I was a boring ass kid. Um, so I had to make his home life harder. And like, so as you probably are aware, um, but um I would say Ryan, um, which is the overweight kid. Um, he was based off one of my best friends, um, who unfortunately, uh, took his own life, um, after high school. So the book overall was kind of a tribute to him. Um, he was a huge horror buff. We did used to film horror movies in the woods. So like a lot of that stuff was based in reality. Um, so I, I knew going into it, I wanted to honor him. Um, and I don't want to spoil his character arc, obviously, yeah. but some of that stuff, you know, towards the middle end of the book with him was basically a tribute, you know, so. Yeah, I'm really sorry to uh, hear that. I, he was one that I really liked as well. Just the he's easy to resonate with because yeah. he's kind of the underdog, but not, you know, it's clear pretty early that he's not supposed to be the underdog. He's not going to be. Yeah, the but it's. Yeah. It's a great job, and I, I think that that's an awesome homage to somebody to not just put them in a story, but put them in a story in, a, in an impactful way. So, yeah, Ryan, I mean, he I changed his name in the book for obvious reasons, but um, uh, some of the people that know him, um, 
that grew up with us. Like I actually had someone that I went to school with who wasn't in my group of friends. Um, I didn't even know they knew I had a book. I haven't talked to them since graduation. And they emailed me through my author website and said they were crying reading his character because they were like best friends with him in middle school. And they were just like, you nailed him. Like that, like that is him to a T. Like, uh, I mean, the outfit, the way he talked, like a lot of that stuff, like playing GoldenEye. And like, um, even though it was like four years too old, you know, um, uh, some of the stuff with his dad, like that was all real um you know his dad really talked that way and embarrassed the crap out of him and it was just always the funniest thing seeing it you know so um it's a, <laughs> i feel like we had the same childhood because i my friends and i we couldn't afford a camera so we didn't really film but we pretended to film ourselves <laughs> being in yeah. blade movies and uh we played golden eye <laughs> so we should have we my friend so Corey in the book is based off my my best friend Corey. his name is actually his name and he went to film school he actually edits now but um he was a uh um an only child so his parents would buy him the, like the best tech so he actually had really nice like at that time in the 90s a nice mm-hmm. video camera so we used to rip off friday the 13th movies all the time and just <laughs> awful slashers so oh that's wonderful i love it the people that really just fucking love horror the ones that they're like <laughs> Born into it, kept it going throughout their life. I'm the same way, and I'm raising my daughter to be the same way too. That's awesome. The best at it. Um, <laughs> so the the ending, right? It it does kind of imply that the story might not be over. Is there more coming? Absolutely. Um, I I um, announced this um, on one of on my social media. Um, so I self published cursed. Uh, Crystal Lake Publishing actually got bought the rights to it, um, and they are going to release a sequel next year. So I haven't written it yet. I ha- I know what's going to happen in my head, but um, I I just finished my my third novel, and I'm I'm writing uh, a novella or novelette now, and then I'm going to be writing that after. Um, so it'll be coming out sometime next year. But they also signed the prequel, so there's going to be a prequel which dives more into the coven in the '70s and the original murders. And then the sequel, which will essentially pick up pretty much right after the scenes of the the first book. So yeah, I don't know which one I'm more excited about. I'm I'm really excited to see more of the you know the the weird little scene that we had in the beginning. Um, yeah, I want more of their story, but I also want more of of the boys. <laughs> Just you know, again, not spoiling too much because that's probably two years down the line when I'll write the, yeah. the prequel. But uh, I, I picture that following jessica and her husband um as they come into newport and you know get involved with this coven um and then leading up through the possession and the original murders and all that um so exciting yeah Uh, but the sequel i'm pretty excited about because there's a i didn't realize and i don't want to overdo the the nostalgia stuff in the book because a lot of what people like about cursed is that it was like a fine balance i didn't Uh i didn't just beat you in the face with nostalgia every other page. Um, so I don't want to go too far overboard, but I also am looking forward to, you know, um, adding some more that I didn't get into the first book. And, you know, one of the characters in the first book, uh, Bethany had kind of a very minor role, um, but she's obviously gonna be a bigger part of book two. So it'll be cool to see the nineties nostalgia from a girl's point of view too. So, um, um, and I have some, you know, when I'm coming up with a book idea, I try to come up with like a bunch of like, in my mind, like a blockbuster scene in like a horror movie, right? Like this <laughs> yeah. big act, you know, like the finale of Curse, mm-hmm. like 
you know, not spoiling anything, but you know, it's it's pretty over the not over the top, but you know, action packed and just like dynamic, right? Yeah. Um, so like I try to think of scenes throughout the book to keep it the pace going. Um, and I have some scenes for locations in Newport that I didn't really use much of that I think would be pretty creepy and pretty badass. So I'm excited about right now. I'm excited about it too. Um, and, and so you you went from your your Curse Among Us and then your most recent one. Well, I can't say most recent because you have your collection, but yeah. the, the novel that came out after that was Inside the Devil's Nest by uh, from D&T Publishing yeah. and has that amazing cover that Matt Seth Barnes did. I love that cover. Um, and so this is another one <laughs> that you, you took a couple <laughs> different concepts. You obviously have you know your aesthetic um we'll we'll dive into that in a couple seconds but the the one thing about this one is that the lore in it was really neat is that just you or did you were you inspired by something else with the it was mostly me um but i can't take all the credit because i did so just to kind of give you some background to that the book is i i knew i wanted it to be at a haunted campground where a cult used to reside um so i knew that part of it and then i I really like i said i like to mash up you know certain aspects and i i was like how can i get them there in an interesting way besides oh we're going on vacation you know like i want like tension from both sides you know um so um so i was writing the first draft and I, i get them to the campground and um you know i had this supernatural cult which a couple of the reviews were calling them like blood-sucking water vamps and i'm like that's kind of badass actually i like that because um that makes them sound pretty cool um but um so i had this whole idea uh, but i'm like i don't i kept saying that they worship the god below you know and i didn't have a name and i'm like there's gotta be like some type of water spirit or demon or something that i can so i started researching um and Bajinoy, which is the who they worship this this mm-hmm. cult is is a real folklore story um around the world um and it's not a god or anything but the way i kind of presented him is like almost like this elder type god you know um but um it was you should the, the folklore is really cool with it it's um it's different in different countries but the idea is this evil water spirit um you know convinces like it, it barters with with humans um but it it kills them basically it drowns <laughs> them in, in the water um and it just really it lined up perfect for my story so it added more depth to you know why they were what they were they weren't just worshiping some nameless thing um you know and i did take some liberty with that folklore but yeah. um it definitely added to it so yeah that's neat i like it when i mean there's a lot of cult stories but i mean surprisingly a lot of those cult stories don't actually like end with them having a real god that they're they're actually worshiping something so oh sorry i hope that's not spoiler that's not spoiler right no no it's not i mean the the prologue pretty much has that's what i was thinking it's pretty (laughs) obvious in the beginning that it's you know there something's happening um so one of your characters the descent into madness is one of the key pieces of the book. It's very shining esque. Um, yeah. It, it was done very well. The, the 
there was, you know, very clear indicators in the beginning because it, it mentioned their personality traits and yeah. then, you know, if it, it fell into that. So did you have to do anything to get into that specific mindset in the, in the more tyrannical pieces of it? Not mentally myself, but I did watch a lot of the shining Amityville stuff like that, just to see their slow descent into the craziness, you know, um, because the shinings, weirdly enough because Stephen King hates the movie um The Shining is one of my favorite movies of all time and the novel is my favorite novel of all time because I, I love them both even though there are some key huge differences but so a lot of the book was you know obviously uh, his character arc was pretty heavily inspired by Jack Torrance um to the point where there's a scene towards the end there where it's definitely you know paying tribute to that as you're probably aware um I didn't, you know, and at the same, when I was doing that, I'm like, I don't want to go too much in, you know, copying, like not copying, but, you know, imitating that. But I felt like I made it different enough so that it didn't feel like I was um, basically taking Jack Torrance and putting him at some campground, you know. Um, but yeah, the, the, you could tell that the homage is there to those specific works, but a lot of fans of horror want that you know i want that in my modern horror is the author's calling back to the stuff that we grew up with so that's something i appreciate and i i regard that my opinion pretty highly so we're good <laughs> yeah. all right it's gonna be really hard for me to not have stephen king inspire the stuff i write because that's what i from like eighth grade on i mean he's all i read up until college i didn't even know other horror authors i tried dean Koontz and didn't like him um and then Sorry if he's watching. Um, I, <laughs> I <doubt it. laughs> um, but, you know, I didn't find indie horror to way later. So King was a huge inspiration. You know, it was a huge inspiration to Cursed oh. Among Us. Um, a lot of people say, it's, oh, it's like Stranger Things. I'm like, yeah, kind of. But that's not it was it is what inspired me. Not not Stranger Things. But obviously it inspired Stranger Things, too. You know, so it kind of goes hand in hand. But um, I, I think that that Stephen King, I know that he's somebody that people love to hate as well but i personally i feel like a lot of that might be jealousy because he's so successful but he's somebody yeah. that i feel like a lot of us authors and readers look up to because he really left his mark on our genre especially from the 80s 90s stuff uh -huh. you know i mean you know the stuff like the new the new stuff i mean i like it but like it's those classic stories that just bring you back you know um and and that doesn't mean like I think they're perfect by any means. I mean, The Shining, I, it's like pretty perfect in my mind. But like, there's stuff like like Salem's Lot. There's a lot that I would change about that, even though I love the concept of it. Um, I do want to write a small town vampire novel sometimes. So um, <laughs> I care a lot about like fast pace. I don't want flop. I don't. I want to try to keep it going as best oh. I can. So, but i'm going off on a tangent now sorry we were talking about the mindset for for um devil's nest you know um i know like talking to nick roberts author of the exorcist house um he when he writes his stuff like he just finished writing his next novel and he said that he puts himself in that mindset like if it's a depressed character he tries to feel that way or angry like man i could not do that um i literally shut my laptop and go down and, and just have a drink and watch something with my wife after I read her, someone getting their head cut off, you know, I don't, it's, it's, I don't try to let it get into my head too much. So. Um. That's very interesting. As, as a writer, I, I'm more aligned with, with Nick's. I like to 
really drag myself into the emotion. Uh, it's it's pretty taxing though. So maybe that's why you're pretty prolific and I barely write everything, <laughs> get anything done. I'm sure that it would add more character depth, you know, because you're like thinking certain thoughts and um, I mean, with Inside the Devil's Nest, like I wouldn't want to get that into, I wouldn't want to think like Anthony, you know, um, but um, I don't I feel like this is, is missing character depth though. So I, well, that's you know, good. Whatever you're doing is working. <laughs> All right. Um, so how was the process between self-publishing your first novel and working with DNT Publishing, which is a, a great indie press. It's very author focused. So I know that it's probably not going to be white as much of a leap as some other presses. But yeah. what was the, the, the contrast for that? There, uh, honestly, there wasn't too much because Dawn is super easy to work with. So there's not a lot of restraints on me. Um, and in all honesty, I didn't know if I was going to self publish it initially. Um, I had already bought the cover art. Um, you know, I had already had my editor, which not everyone does this. Uh, I want it to be the best it can be. So even when I get picked up by a publisher, I still pay my editor to edit it first because in my mind, well, I'm like, okay, well then I'm getting a second editor because they're going to have their editor do it. That, that's how I view it. Whereas a lot of people are like, no, that's what they're there for. You know, you're, they're taking your book, they're taking your royalties. Like, let them pay for the editor i'm like yeah but then who knows if it's the best product you know because I, I could get a second set of eyes on it now um so they've been super she's been super easy to work with um you know she i don't think she's ever said no to anything of that so <laughs> uh uh you know i asked if i could send arcs out and i was worried about that because with cursed i saw i sent a ton of arcs out yeah ebook arcs you know to people because i wanted reviews i wanted people talking about it and with a publisher i didn't know you know if that'd be okay or not um you know so and they typically use you know specific cover artists i already had the cover she was completely cool with me using my cover i mean it's a, an amazing cover yeah, so cool. i'm just <laughs> glad <laughs> she did but um yeah, I mean, it, it hasn't been too much different. I, I will say one thing that is really tough for me is with Cursed, I am I'm addicted to refreshing KDP, <laughs> you know, throughout the day to see how it's doing. I can't do that with Devil's Nest because it's not under my name, you know, it's under DNT, so I can't see intraday like how it's doing. Uh, and I I don't want to bug her. She has a million authors to worry about, so I'm not sitting there messaging her every other day saying, hey, how are we doing? You know, but um, so that that's the main difference, honestly, is just seeing how it's doing. You know, I mean, that, that's it's really it. She, she's been super easy to work with. Um, you know, she's got my book in different areas than I would have myself. Right. Like we had it on Godless, um, you know, as an early exclusive. I, I didn't use them on my own. I didn't really even know how to go about that. Um, you know, she has um, specific um reviewers that read dnt books specifically so i picked up you know some more audience from from that as well so stuff like that's different but um i haven't felt any pressure or stress or anything working with dnt so it's been good awesome and then so now we'll have to get you back on here and and say you know what's the difference between self-published versus you know what a dnt versus crystal lake versus uh, your fourth book hopefully picked up so we'll we'll have to circle back but it can be like 
uh, Billie Eilish, where she goes back every year to talk about her career as a girl. Yeah. I mean, I can tell, I, I don't even mind, you know, I, I have announced this, so it's not, you know, saying anything I, I'm not supposed to say, but the novel I just finished got picked up by Darklit Press. So, um, uh, which Andrew, who owns Darklit, mm-hmm. published my first ever short story. So it's kind of cool to come back full circle um, and work with them too. Um, so I'm pretty excited. And that book, um, the beta readers have really liked it. So I'm, I'm excited. It's with my editor right now. So I'm like, it's been with him for a week. He said two to three weeks. So I'm sitting here every day, just like, <laughs> like ready to see this thing, you know, but oh, I'm excited to see it. Um, will you be able to use Matt for that again? Or do you not know yet? Um, not for that. Well, I mean, I think they, if I pushed Andrew, Andrew again, is another one of those publishers. that's really flexible and super cool about stuff. So I think he would have actually, I know he would have, um, but um they have a cover artist that they typically go to first um and i met her at AuthorCon, and we started chatting about the cover and um you know we got some pretty cool ideas so i'm excited to see what she does for it but that's awesome uh, yeah um so we we touched on it a little bit but your uh, this might <laughs> lead into what what you were just talking about but you you write a lot that just grabs elements. This is a compliment. Okay. But it's like out of a hat, <laughs> you know, it's yeah. three things. It reminds me of a, a board game that I played, which is it's called smash up where it's like two decks, like fairies and vampires. And then just mash them together. Yeah. Um, and I love that. So what else have you got up your sleeves for the future? What other random themes do you have floating in the ether? Uh, well, honestly, um, I, I'll probably do that with every book I write where I mash stuff together um, like that. So um, to your point, Devil's Nest, in my mind, in the way I pitched this to D&T was The Shining Meets Ozark, um, you know, because I love the Ozark show on, on Netflix. Um, and that's, uh, you know, family pretty much kind of on the run. I mean, they end up working with, uh, I don't know if you watched Ozark or not, but uh, they end up working with a drug family, um, a drug cartel, um, you know, laundering their money and stuff And they're, you know, so anyways, the, the two ideas were kind of like coming head to head there and trying to come up with a cool story around it. Um, uh, the book I just finished um, was inspired initially by, I took uh, Neil Gaiman's masterclass when I was trying to like, fill my brain with knowledge. And he was talking about you could take any story and just kind of turn it upside down and make it something completely different. Like how he, he talked about how Snow White, if you just changed a couple key things, would be a horror story. Um, and then, so it got me thinking, you know, it was an exercise he talked about, like come up with, you know, take a, a traditional fairy tale, um, you know, and and just make some changes and try to turn it into horror. And my daughter at the time was obsessed with Tangled, you know, the Rapunzel story. So, my next novel is called Kosa, which is uh, Croatian for hair. Um, so it's a not uh, Rapunzel, but it's it's not a fairy tale or like um, medieval type time. She's not in a tower, but um, I pitched it to Darklet as Rapunzel meets Room, which I don't know if you ever saw that movie or read that book. Yeah, it's uh, a great one. <laughs> dark. <laughs> um, it, you know, so Rapunzel meets Room meets Drag Me to Hell is, is how I pitched it to them. And it's modern times, but, you know, an evil Croatian witch um, ends up abducting this baby um, who, from this uh, couple that tried to steal from her. Um, and 
I mean, I won't give too much away, obviously, yeah. <laughs> but I think you could probably guess, right? Like the baby is very important to her, um, you know, so she can't kill her or anything. She needs her. So it, it follows this uh, baby. Um, it was written in four parts. So part two is her when she's like six years old. Part three is uh, when she is uh, 16, you know, and so it just jumps ahead to really, I wanted to get in the head of kind of like room where, that's her whole world. So like being in this house and following mother's rules is like, you know, that's her, that's her life. She doesn't know any different. So the stuff that this witch teaches her is, is normal to her. Um, so. Um, this is excellent. I'm so excited yeah. for this one. Oh yeah. Okay. I, I, I'm the beta readers. We're really happy with it. I'm so excited. I, I, I want it to come out now, but it's probably, it's, I think it's quarter one of 2024. Uh, um, because I begged Andrew to put it up for AuthorCon next year. So <laughs> I, I, oh, I'm so excited. Uh, the, the one thing I wanted to talk about for this one is, you know, it's Father's Day this month. Happy Father's Day, by the way. It's late. I know it's like Thanks. weeks <laughs> away, but uh, how would you say being a parent? impacts your writing if it does you know it, it might not oh, but if it's huge does. like every every story i write it seems like it involves some type of uh parental relationship right um you know i often um beat up myself you know because i'm like why didn't i you know i've always wanted to write and i didn't really pick up a key- keyboard until the pandemic you know i'm like why wouldn't i have started when i was younger and then think well what the hell would i have to say when i'm 20 uh hey you know this is a character that has a terrible credit score and you know <laughs> drops out of college like what i don't you know what would i write about so now i have a nine and five year old and obviously horror to someone that's a parent is something happening to the kids or um you know a parent protecting their kids stuff like that right so um, cursed, you know, involves kids and relationship dynamics with their parents. Obviously, a devil's nest even more so because it's a dad trying to save his family and doing what he thinks is right to do. Mm-hmm. You know, Cosa, the book I just finished, right? I mean, that's that's about a, a child um, and not really having a parent, but you know, um, following specific rules and all that. So it's huge. I don't even know how. Even my short stories, you know, it's it's hard for me to to write without having some dynamic there involving that because that's you know they say write what you know you know and obviously that's my life every day right now so it's hard not to do something with that so i definitely agree i parent myself the, the people know it's it becomes such an integral part of you and your soul and like you said the, the biggest fear is the kids so you know tap into it <laughs> tap into well, it like people, make something you know, great some people will be like how can you you know and, and i'm not like uh, i'm not an extreme or splatterpunk author necessarily right so like i'm not getting too specific with things happening to them but things do happen to kids in my stories and you know some people be like how can you do that I'm like that's my fear that's what i'm writing you know is um, i'm not doing it because i'm like oh like machete to a six-year-old you know that's not you know it's not like that you know it's like that's what scares me so Absolutely. We had um, Ruth Anna on here uh, several episodes back and she writes a lot that is, you know, extreme horror focused on kids. And that's her catharsis is getting that out helps to get it out of her mind. So she's not worried about it. Yeah. Yeah. She I mean, and she goes much harder than I do with that (laughs) stuff. So I can only imagine, you know, Um, but it's the same mindset. Obviously do it in a different way. But like, yeah, I mean, that's. Uh, if someone asked me 
what scared me beyond, well, my collection. I mean, there's certain things in there that, that I leaned on that scared me that don't have to do with kids, but yeah. the biggest thing would be if anything ever happened to them, you know, and protecting them. So it's enough yeah. to bring a tear to your eye. So sweet. <laughs> Yeah. This is the cutthroat queens. It's not supposed to be sweet. Um, <laughs> uh, so, where can our listeners find you if they if they're not familiar with you? Where? What are your socials? Do you have a website? I do. Yeah, and I sell. You know, I have a, a merch store through my website, so I sell signed bundles and mer- uh, hoodies and t-shirts and stuff. Um, so, JohnDurganAuthor.com is my website. Um, you can find me on Facebook. Um, uh, John Dragon uh, author is, is my Facebook page, my author page. Uh, I suggest following that versus friending me only because I post most of my author stuff on, on the author page now. Um, and then on Instagram, it's um, at Durgan pencil drawings, which uh, if you're wondering where the hell does that name come from? I, before I started writing, I got back into art and I, I opened an Etsy shop and, uh, to sell like uh, prints of my pencil drawings. So I switched my Instagram name to that. And then it was posted everywhere for my author stuff. So I couldn't change it at that point, you know, cause all my books say it. So I'm like, oh, I'm just going to stick with it now. Um, and then, um, and you're going to kill me cause you told me to get this ready. And I, I, I'm drawing a blank on my Twitter. So um, Twitter is at J Durgan 1084. Um, and then TikTok, which I'm, I'm starting to, to try to grow a bit is at John Durgan underscore author. So, TikTok. I, the last several people we've talked to are trying to get the TikTok going, and I know I need to. Yeah, it's 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 so intimidating. <laughs> it, yeah, I I haven't done a lot of those, like you know, or I shouldn't say a lot of. I haven't done any of those. Me holding the phone up, like filming myself talking TikTok videos, <laughs> like a lot of the authors do. I try to do like I made this like quick mini book trailer for Sleeping in the Fire, my collection yesterday, and posted it and. I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing on TikTok either, if it works, but, and then I look and I'm like, well, what the hell? I, I have almost 700 views on that one and I only have a couple hundred followers. So, and then I have some videos of like, uh, you know, 1200 views and I'm like, what, uh, maybe I'm doing something right. I don't know, but um, I'm just like spitball and I have no freaking clue what I'm doing. So, um, but I view them all as different sources of waste and to, um, you know, like Twitter, I don't really in, to me, that's more networking with other authors and, and publishers and stuff. I, I don't expect many fans or whatnot to be on there. It's mostly my Facebook author page and Instagram for that stuff. So so I am very excited that we got to chat. I have been a fan of your work since I got introduced to it earlier this year. was very excited to talk to you. Very excited to keep watching your career grow. Um, I'm gonna, we're going to try that Billie Eilish thing. Uh, don't hold me to <laughs> it because I am very unreliable. Well, let's try it. So thank you for joining us today or joining me. Oh, thanks for me. Like I say us. <laughs> you and me, it's us, right? Yeah. yeah, uh, yeah we, no, uh, no, I appreciate it. Um, I, I, I miss doing the podcast gig. So it's cool when I get to come on as a guest. And, uh, you know, obviously when you're a host, you, gotta, you can't really talk about yourself too much, right? So um, <laughs> I, I used to try my best, but again, I ramble a lot. So I still would talk <laughs> about stuff when I'm like, yeah, you're talking to Brian Keene, like no one cares about your book. Shut up. You know? Uh, <laughs> yeah. But thanks for having me. It was fun. Waking up in a bath of ice. I'm a victim of an organized You know it is true. You know this time you're never gonna get it. But you already stole my heart.
All right, we are back, and I am here today talking to Matt Seth Barnes. Um, he is a bloke from England, and he is a cover artist and illustrator. Uh, you've probably seen his work floating around Twitter or Instagram. At least that's where I got to know him. Um, so we're really excited to get to chat today about illustrating. So welcome, Matt. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. And I am indeed a bloke from England, mate. <laughs> mate. <laughs> <laughs> I already warned Matt that I might I might slip into an accent just for fun today. Ah, <laughs> uh, uh, that that's not bad. I, I don't mind any accurate renditions. I'd be pretty impressed. <laughs> I think you should actually do the whole thing in a British accent. I can't promise it will stay accurate the whole time, but you know we can do our. <laughs> <laughs> I'll probably get distracted. <laughs> um, it's so good to have you here. Really excited to chat with you today. Um. And yeah, I guess like just diving in. So you do commissions and pre-mades, is that right? Indeed, I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That That's the uh, main crux of the business. Uh, more so commissions. I, I get less and less time to do pre-mades now, but pre-mades are always fun because you can just go like hog wild on them. You know, you can do pretty much whatever you want. So that they're always good just to sort of, you know, show off your own tastes, if you like. That is fun. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about what the process is like for a commission? Yeah, um, well, usually it starts with an email, essentially, um, or oh. I'll be contacted through social media via a DM or something, and you sort of introduce ourselves, etc. Um, I think the general purpose at this stage is to just try and find out what the book's about. So ideally, at first, I'd like to have a blurb. Or maybe if the client themselves want to explain what the book's about, et cetera. Um, and then there's always that sort of introductory element. And then I think you decide if you, you know, if it's your a good fit for you and if you know they're they're also a good fit. So once that's been decided, you kind of just book them in. And then when that time approaches, um, about a week before, you know, around about a week before, I'm due to actually start work on that. What I'll do is I'll start gathering like mood boards. Um, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll just scan the internet and different places. Pinterest is very, very good for sort of a collating art and I'll create a specific board for that particular piece. And this will be basically the stimulus for ideas to sort of start off, get going. Uh, once that's done, I think I have a sort of decent outline of a concept and assuming I have the artistic freedom to do so, um, I'll then contact the author again and say, Hey, what do you think of this concept? And then if he digs it we go forward and usually I'll send an early sort of work in progress just so we're on the same page and instead of sort of getting like 50% into a job and yeah he sees it and or she sees it and they're just like yeah that's not working you know I think early mm. on you need to show the concept even as rough as it can look as long as you can see actually what the idea is that makes sense do you get yeah. contacted mostly by authors or like is there ever like a publisher or like a publicist or anything like who normally is your clientele um, I'd say the large majority is probably um, independent um, authors, self-published. Um, oh. But it has become much, much more this year in particular, where I'm getting sort of uh, publishing houses or contacting me. So it it that balance is sort of it's kind of actually more seventy thirty in favour of indies to actually publishing houses. But the, the publishing houses have definitely been much more apparent recently which is nice um you mentioned fit when you're like kind of getting to know the person making the commission request what does that look like like have you ever have you ever said no and like and 
if you don't mind, why, what would be some um, of the reasons? As an artist, I think you like as much artistic freedom as you can get, to be mm-hmm. honest. But you've got to understand that obviously, you know, authors are also creative people and have certain visions or certain scenes in their book they might want replicated for a cover or something. And, and that's fine. But sometimes you'll get a client that will come to you and it's just utter chaos of a concept. Uh, there was this one guy, it, funny enough, it actually wasn't horror. But I'm not sure what it was because I, I didn't <laughs> understand what he was going on about. <laughs> it was horrific. <laughs> yeah, it was fucking horrific. Um, yeah, it, um, uh, it was just this description. I don't even remember what it was. It was just words. And it was just like, there's a dome over here and I want this over here. And there's like, the, the, by, the, by the sounds of it, there was like 600 people in this book. And I was just thinking, yeah, you don't have to have them all on the front cover. That's <laughs> You just have to create a feel. And I was... You know, and, and this guy was just adamant that he had to have this. And I just said, look, I'm, I'm sorry, I can't. I don't think I'm capable of <laughs> creating your vision for you. Um, it, it was just absolutely crazy. And he actually did say, to be fair, by that um, he'd actually had a few other cover designers say no. So oh, wow. I was I was trying I was trying to politely, you know, divert him to maybe something a bit different. But he, he was kind of headstrong about it, which is fair enough. So. I just said, looks like you, you know, might be sort of better off looking somewhere else. And, and that was it, really. But that's really the only ones I turned down. Or if I'm too busy, I've had to turn down work sometimes. Mm, that makes sense. I applaud you for taking so much indie work, too, because, you know, sometimes self-published authors can have a hard time getting noticed in, you know, it's a pretty saturated field of work out there. And your covers are amazing. So it's awesome that they get to have something so eye-catching. Um, and hopefully that gets them some some more readership. Yeah, I mean, I mean, one thing I love, I mean, I, I'm quite a big fan of Twitter. And I've only, funnily enough, been, I know a lot of people think it's not great. But um, in the last sort of year, I've really sort of paid more attention to it. I've had an account for years, but I've never really used it. Mm-hmm. And then I sort of discovered the horror community on there. And um, it's fantastic. It, it's just so supportive. Um everyone's trying to help each other everyone's sharing each other's stuff everyone's giving encouragement you know when people are down or not feeling like they're at their best or writing their best there's always people there picking other people up and yeah it's just fantastic um yeah it's awesome that you work with so many self-published authors and and help get them noticed because your your covers are very eye-catching it's very easy to work in that environment because like I say the support's there and even the authors themselves, even when I've done something that's not necessary for them, that they'll still share your work because you've developed a good relationship with them. And not, and like, I've literally found a very, very high percentage of people on there just so easy to work with and get on with. It's just such a, a good place, I find personally. That, yeah. That whole community is phenomenal. Definitely a fan of the community. I know Twitter has its problems, as does, I think, probably any kind of social media platform, but mm-hmm. it is there is definitely a, a subset of people that are just truly wonderful there. So I appreciate that. Yeah. I, I think it might be the same way across much social media. I know, I know Twitter seems to get a lot of the attention for that sort of thing, but um, yeah, I agree that that community is wonderfully supportive. And I, I know there's like, it's full of assholes as well in other areas and there's probably asshole artists and authors as well, but I don't tend to see them. I just tend to see oh, a really community. Yeah, no, I don't tend to see that. I mean, you know, you get these odd little things that kick off with, you know, people sending pictures to one another or whatever, those kinds of things. And it's been like a member of the writing community. Something happened recently, but I just sort of steer clear of all that, you know. There you go. 
I want to live in Matt Seth Barnes's Twitter world. <laughs> yeah, so come and hang pleasant. out in my world. <laughs> I'll add you on Twitter. How's that? Then... I just followed you actually. But what's funny is I didn't know I wasn't following you yet because I see your stuff pop up on my timeline all the time. So I assumed that I was already following you. I saw your pre-made for Elevator. It's oh, so yeah, awesome. Really? Oh, thank you. You know, yeah, that was just something I was working on in between commissions. I, I just... I did this elevator piece before and it, it, I thought it was all right, but it didn't really hit. And I just thought, oh, I'm going to do it again. And I'm going to use the sort of elevator as a concept and tentacles and stuff. And I just painted them differently this time and changed the whole tonal range of it and stuff. But yeah, I, I think it seemed to work out quite well, actually. So I was quite pleased with that. But I think it'd work as a movie poster as well, to be fair. Um, um, yeah. And so for our listeners, before we were recording, we were talking a little bit about music and we're talking about the Stranger Things score. And I look at this and now that you said you listened to that, I'm like, you must have been listening to that score when you were drawing this. Oh, how did you guess? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <It's> got <laughs> it vibes, has the right? vibe. Yes. It's got the vibe. It's got the vibe. It totally but does. It's cool. Those lovely Stranger Things vibes. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you ever hear from writers who like use your pre-mades as prompts? If I looked at at this elevator poster and then I'm like mm. ooh that gives me an idea to write a story like versus having something ready looking for a pre-made I wonder if anybody kind of uses your art as a prompt to write something new yes yeah that has happened in fact this um what happened is it this last year or the year before I was contacted by a lady who saw this pre-made and she literally bought the pre-made before she finished writing the story oh that's cool yeah, and she's like, it would just work. But on the other side of it, like you say, that, that literally it's gone from no story, then yeah, yeah. I, I've, there's been a few people that have said to me, that's given me a fantastic idea. Can I get this from you? So yeah, that happens. That happens. I think any sort of strong image, you know, it's, not, it's I suppose the way I take inspiration as well. You can see another piece of art that can inspire you to think of something else. And I, and I presume it works like that for writers. If there's something that strikes them, uh, obviously I'm not being a writer but obviously maybe it sort of sets a little detonator off and they're just like I can do this this could be this and this could be this you know they can they can work on just something like an image and then make a story out of it somehow which is yeah it's such a neat like form of collaboration between artist and writer and I know we're way off the way off the list we sent so thank you for going on that journey with me <laughs> no 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 problem at all yeah yeah no it's fantastic but um yeah no uh elevator is quite cool actually yeah it's a bit different so Again, it was one of those where I got to um, really sort of just do what I wanted to do, you know. Did you Let sell you... that one yet? Um, I haven't, no, which no. I was surprised. Well, let's, you know what? Let's get this. Po- Everyone listening to this podcast, go check out that cover, write a story and then buy it. <laughs> that sounds like an excellent plan. And <laughs> Chelsea isn't getting 10%, by the way. <laughs> I don't make any money. <laughs> oh. So I spied on your website that you are self-taught. Is that right? Can you tell us a little bit about your art background in general? I've always uh, loved sort of art on books and um, movie posters and covers, DVDs, et cetera, et cetera, Blu-rays. That's always been my thing. And for some reason, I used to walk past the cinema as a child and I always used to stop at it and I always used to look at the different posters, but I never had the incentive from it to actually create art until later on. Mm-hmm. And basically I just decided to just give Photoshop a try, which was about 15 years ago now. 
and I decided to give it a try and I was just messing around with it. I was doing stupid things like I was cutting off pictures, sorry, sorry, cutting off my head, not literally, obviously. <laughs> I was cutting off like pictures of my head and just sticking them on movies just to take the piss and make people laugh sort of thing and just trying to make <laughs> it look real like I was in a movie. Um, and that was literally how my art career started. And then I started taking it more seriously. I started um, buying books, studying videos. Uh, I did one or two sort of online courses. And then I just practiced. And I know it sounds quite an obvious thing to say, practice, practice, practice. But honest to God, that that's just the way I went. And obviously studying as well. It's like I'll, I'll look at people that I looked up to and their artwork and I'll try and figure out obviously how they got to that effect or how they got to this effect. And then mm. the more you learn the software, the more you realize how these things might be achieved. So it's literally just the case of playing with Photoshop 15 years ago and then thinking one day, I can make a cover, I can make a poster and just practicing. But I didn't actually get into publishing on a sort of professional level till about maybe three years ago-ish. Okay. Not like in the midst that. of like shutdown and stuff or... Uh, yeah, actually a little bit before maybe, um, nice. but it, I was only getting like the odd job at that point. And then I actually started out sort of doing post-apocalyptic stuff. Um, not, not, <laughs> well, not like, yeah, well, not Did you I, predict I, this, Matt? <laughs> get, get out of here. You're fired. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But um, no, but um, I didn't sort of get any horror breaks till sort of about a year later. And then my business seemed to go very, very quickly year on year to now it's like obviously my profession and stuff but luckily enough to be able to do that um but yeah the actual background itself was basically me just sat in a room with photoshop and no friends and just playing with all the different buttons to see what they did and then draw a bit and see what that does then draw a bit and then then it's gaining the confidence to actually put your work out there uh, because i don't want people telling me it's really good when it's shit you know I, that, I want yeah that is I understand yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I want, you know, people to say, no, that's that's shit. And then I can go back and go, okay, well, I'll make it good. I, I sort of thrive off that. I don't, you know, a lot of people just say, no, it's great, great, great. I, I do like the proper feedback. And I was getting a lot of that and I had a pretty supportive um, network around me, other artists at the time. And they were being very honest with me and you need to improve this or your lighting, et cetera, et cetera. And literally it was just practicing all those things and all those disciplines over and over. And then I had the confidence to put my work out there um started getting some feedback and I thought oh how can I make money out of this and then and now it's what you do full-time yeah that's amazing congratulations not everyone can do that someone really be proud of oh no thank you very much thank you um yeah so I just literally went for it and just just kept making out kept making out kept trying to improve giving it to the right people to give me the right feedback and um, yeah, then I put myself in the market. I started posting in book cover groups on Facebook and I got pretty good traction straight away, I must admit. Um, awesome. And it went from there. It went from there, basically. I just, you know, I promote on all the different social networks and I've been lucky enough to, you know, build a really nice client base. So yeah, that that's the very uninteresting art background. I'd like to it's say a- I was some hobo 
living somewhere and I had a paintbrush and just painting random stuff on the street and there was some romantic story but it isn't it was just me in a room with a computer listen Matt we're not supposed to tell the listeners that this isn't an interesting story we're making it interesting (laughs) (laughs) I'm doing my best I really am this is nothing this is nothing to tell you on that side (laughs) no I think a lot of people will find inspiration in that like you don't need a you don't need to go to school you don't need a degree like this is something you if you put in the time and you have the interest you can you know make something of it Okay, I was going to ask if you had, so you like you said you were doing some stuff on your own, you found a community, there were some books and videos and classes, like, are there like one or two like top resources that you would recommend for somebody trying to teach themselves? I just went to YouTube and just and Googled it all that way. And um, yeah, it was literally, it's as simple as that. There were enough, I mean, now you see a lot of things like speed art on there, which is basically a process and artwork being put together, but sped up through video, just basically filming someone's screen doing it and then the speed ups you can't necessarily always learn off those videos mm-hmm. but um there are ones out there that, that, that are giving good tutorials and and it's just picking up the basics really um there, there was uh one that's no longer going now that i used to follow was called surreal psd and, was that a um, youtube channel no well there, there, there wasn't actually a youtube channel no it was just a course that was out there oh. there's a website and a course but i got kind of friendly with the um the founder ceo oh, and nice. um, yeah so we've been sort of friends now for about 10 years due to this um and he sort of um then turned that into a thing called photomanipulation.com which is a channel on youtube which is i'd say probably the best channel <clears throat> excuse me the best channel out there if you really want to learn photoshop it's really good incisive um lessons they teach you every aspect of, of art and in terms of color theory lighting wow. everything just everything cool. so photomanipulation.com if you want to learn photomanipulation.com on youtube is the place to go really very okay. good but, i mean you don't necessarily have to go out and pay for a course you know there's enough resources out there on youtube and with a bit of sort of patience and typing the right keywords and you can find everything you need to learn to do it. You really can. So I was kind of curious, like why horror? Because I love horror. <laughs> All right, fine. Good answer. <laughs> That's all there is to it. I just love, I've always loved horror. I love horror movies. I love horror books, horror, everything. Yeah. I mean, you know, I watch other movies, but if I was looking at my Blu-ray collection now, which I am doing, it's probably like 85% horror and it's like 400 blu-rays so yeah i feel that <laughs> whenever yeah, we open yeah. netflix it's directly to the horror list <laughs> oh absolutely yeah i just i just love horror i love the creepy stuff and you know it, it has such a it just has much more resonance with me than anything else when i when i make horror artwork i'm just really happy good what makes yeah. a good horror book cover in your opinion oh, in your expert opinion i think basically just capturing the mood and theme and, and making sure that it's it's a balance, isn't it? It's got to be horror enough to suggest it's horror, but you don't want to be over the top as to put people off. You know what I mean? It's like, I've had a lot of people come to me with ideas and say, I want this, this, and this, and this. And I'm thinking, yeah, you wouldn't be able to put that on a, a sort of bookshelf. You know, it's like, it's like, there's only a certain, I think Amazon have certain reservations on the certain graphic levels of covers they have. So there's restrictions in that area. But I think the most important thing is just capturing a theme or, something key from the book that it's more about what you can allude to than and giving the direct idea of what the book necessarily is that's the way I feel about it I, I don't think you have to tell 
the entire story on the book. And sometimes I do get clients come to me like that and they'll be like, oh yeah, I think I want to put this on and this on and this on. And now I'm looking at that and going, well, compositionally, that's, that's awful. That's not going to work. It's just gonna... <laughs> No, but this is the thing. A, a lot of the artwork is like, you got to look at the composition first because you, you, the aim of that is to draw the eye to the image. And if you've got everything going on in different places and the typography is unbalanced and things like that, you know, it can look a mess and people won't even know what they're looking at half the time. So, but as for a horror cover, I think you've definitely got to obviously catch the fact that it's horror, but you don't need to be down the throat with it. You know, it's more, more about catching a mood and, and just taking something from the story itself that's vivid enough to make something that would make a vivid cover, if that makes sense. Do you ever have trouble just having like a blurb or a summary? Like, if do you ever like kind of miss the mood because you didn't get enough of the content of the thing you're designing for? Um, if I find I'm struggling, I, I'll just I'll just go back to the author and try and I'll try and you know create an open as dialogue as possible and just say, look, maybe you can tell me something about a character, or maybe you can tell me a few descriptions of some scenes in the book that are quite key to the story or certainly, you know, quite significant. And if, if there's all like a struggle in that way, you can always find something else or there's like a, a key element or a key story point that you can work into the cover or something like that. So there's there's always a solution when you've got something yeah. as, broad, as broad as a story to work with. I mean, there's, there's things that you can take from it and, you know, you give yourself a lot of options. But sometimes they just come to you straight away, you know, sometimes off the title. It's kind of like you said earlier about if um, an author or someone or, or a publishing house has come to me and said, you know, is this cover available because I want to write a story for it? Mm-hmm. it? It works It works both ways. You can see a title sometimes and I can think, I know what I'm going to do for that. Oh, that's really I'm, cool. Yeah, and that, and, that, and that is really cool. And and then obviously I, I, I'll discuss that with the um, the client. And if they're happy with that, then those are the sort of jobs you want. You know, you've got the idea straight away and then you can just look forward to just getting on with it. But I still think it's important to create the mood boards, even though they're usually used as a device to sort of create ideas. I still think it's quite important to um, to get those just, just to keep, you know, just to keep the mood. It's basically those mood boards are moods, you know, and it, yeah. it's still, and also, you know, by seeing different artists do different things on those mood boards, it gives you ideas with different approaches, not to directly steal, obviously, like, oh, I'll just take that idea and do that. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, oh, I like a bit of that. Oh, this good art doing on that's interesting. Do you ever work, do you get work in other genres outside of horror? Uh, not much. Um, I, I've done some dark fantasy, um, which I don't are, mind. Are there like different elements you need to consider when you're when you're doing something more fantastical? I think obviously I'm more just naturally I'll be more up on what's going on in the horror genre. So in terms of if I'm asked to do it like a dark fantasy or maybe a, a post-apoc one or something, it'd be a case of there's probably a bit more groundwork to do just to know what's going in the market and, and what's happening in the market. So I'll go and look at a load of like posters and art and maybe other book covers and see what's what's working at the moment, right down to color tones, anything. Um, oh, wow. anything, anything you can take from that that's consistent, that's been successful you can adapt to your own style sort of thing. Um, so that's what I would tend to do. I think it'd just be a case of a lot more sort of groundwork, whereas horror, I just seem to, you know. Already have the pulse on it, sounds like. It, yeah, it's like it's like a comfortable shoe. I just slip my foot in and away we go. Well, I'd have, <laughs> I'd have both shoes, obviously. I wouldn't have one shoe. 
because that'd be stupid, wouldn't it? I mean, <laughs> I'm not going to judge you. If you want to wear one shoe, that's fine. Whatever your process is, Matt, that's what you're here to talk about. Yeah, he's just awfully eccentric, that bloke from England, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. They're weird over there. They only wear one shoe. I don't know. <laughs> Do you have something that you created that is your favorite and why? Right. There's a few alike, actually. The one that stands out is the, I'd say it's probably Inside the Devil's Nest, which I did for John Durgan. Oh yeah, with DNT publishing. The funny thing about that one is, right, that that nearly never happened, that cover, because oh. it actually started out as a pre-made, to be honest, as well. And John saw it and immediately sort of fell in love with it. And then I believe he got it blown up and put on his his um wall in his living room or his office, maybe. Um, and he's like, Oh, I need this for a book I'm gonna write. This is perfect. It's all right if I get it. I'm just like, yeah, yeah, cool, cool. It said, I think it was one of them cases where it matched the story he was going to write. Like mm-hmm. you was mentioned earlier. So I think it was actually one of those cases. But the thing about that cover was that was nightmarish in terms of its actual um conception and the actual work that went into it was just it drove me up the wall. It, and the the strange thing about it was it it was the one of the most simplest concepts. It's literally just ob- obviously seeing yourself, it's just a head popping out of water, some reeds in the background, a bit of atmosphere. But that just took me days and days and days to the point where I had to leave my computer at one point and leave my sort of desk because I was getting so pissed off because a certain part of it wasn't working for hours on end. Oh, wow. Oh, no, seriously. I'm, I'm not joking. I mean, my son wasn't here, <laughs> thankfully, because <laughs> I, I just wanted to swear a lot. Oh, I was incensed by it. This one part of it, the reflection wasn't working, then the head didn't look this right, and the head was too big. Now it looks too small. Oh, the water ripples are wrong. They're in the wrong place. Oh, I tell you, it was like problem after problem. And actually at one point said, that's it. I ain't doing it. I quit. And I thought, it's not something I do. I usually just like see a sort of art piece through to the end. Even if it ends up shit, I don't care. I just want to finish it. Um, But this, it was kind of like, I was at the end of my tether. I was done with it. And I walked out of the room like three or four times. I'm thinking, right, deep breath. And I sort of sat myself down and I thought, right, get it together. And I just started nailing down, like I said before, just basically being patient. Yeah. Uh, maybe it's something about our day, but I think it was just driving me mad that it was for what seemed like for me a simple concept. It wasn't coming together when I've done things that are much more complicated that have come together. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't, my brain wouldn't register that. It wasn't allowing me. It's just like, it's just a goddamn reflection, you know? <laughs> and it was just like, no, yeah, yeah, it's not working. Wow. Really got um, under your skin. Oh, it really did. Honestly, it was just crazy. You, you, I'd probably like a bit of a madman. You're probably thinking, just chill out, dude. You know? <laughs> did you throw your toys out the pram? I did. I bloody <laughs> did, you know. I bloody did, you know, missus. <laughs> oh, an ape shit, didn't I? <laughs> so what made, what made you stick with it? Pure spite? Yeah, just to piss myself <laughs> off in a way. It's like, no, you're going to finish it. I, I, sort of, I sort of told myself off, really. I sort of disciplined myself, sat myself down on the sofa and said, right, get yourself together, Matt get back to the computer and sort it out. And believe it or not, as silly as that sounds, that's exactly what I did. And it came together. But the funny thing was, by the end of it, I didn't know if it was good or not because I spent so much time despising it. But then I released it and um, it got a very good reception. So I, I guess I'm grateful. I suppose there's lessons in that as well, you know, about perseverance. and Found its right home. So that's really cool. It is, it is very cool. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm very happy. I'm very grateful with it. But I'd say... I think not just as a piece of art, I really like it, but I just think also the fact that I think I learned something that day about just 
learning when to just walk away, take a break and not being so dramatic about something, maybe something I learned there myself, a personal lesson. I love that. (laughs) I think um, everybody listening can probably use that lesson for whatever it is that they're working on. Yeah, every, I mean, no, I'm, I'm sure, you know, everyone gets in that situation. Um, if something becomes frustrating in a, in a creative environment and, you know, obviously I'm not a writer, but obviously there's writer's block and there's, there's certain things in writing that you, you come up against a brick wall and it can be frustrating. But I think ultimately the best advice is just to step away, sit down. Take, yeah. And another thing is just don't look at it. And I think that might work the same for writing. I'm not sure. But another thing I was told is, just stop looking at the artwork. If, if you rest your eyes from it, it's amazing. Even like five or six hours or the next day you go back to it, you'll see things you didn't see because you've been staring at it so long. All the details are just blending into the main composition, if you will. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's definitely good to um, try and take a step back and go back to something because you can improve it massively just by doing that, by noticing things you hadn't seen before. You can miss what's going on in other areas because just you focus on this, but especially with that one, the... Um, the devil's nest one i was like focusing on this damn reflection for so long and it's like it's not white the water ripples i'm gonna have to redraw the water ripples and then, and then there's other things going on i hadn't even noticed <laughs> when you go back it's utter shit <laughs> everything's shit <laughs> no it is it came out wonderful so i'm glad that you um forced yourself back to the computer i'm sure john is also glad you did that Thank you so, so much. Yeah, no, I, I'm pleased with too. But like you say, in all seriousness, I think it just taught me something about just, you know, as I say, I'm not like a, a particularly aggressive person at all or anything like that. It's not like me to get irate easily, but for some reason that was really eating at me. And um, I think, yeah, the best advice, step away, come back, calm, fresh eyes and all that. Do you um, do you do other forms of art outside of covers? I've done a little um, film work. But I can't really talk about it because there's NDA mm. stuff attached to uh. it. But nothing. Uh, some One's fairly cool. But to be honest, it's something, as I explained earlier, I think when I was saying that when I was a kid, I used to walk past the cinema and saw like the posters and stuff. Uh-huh. Um, I would definitely like to do more sort of work, I think, in that area as well. Just like cool. just push out there. Just just as like an ambition thing, if anything else. I mean, I love doing my book covers. Um it, it really is wonderful but um yeah I wouldn't mind doing the odd movie poster for Shudder or something that'd be cool oh that'd listening. be sick yeah <laughs> if you're listening <laughs> Shudder we would Shutter. all actually everyone on this podcast would really like to work with you in some form yeah. big fans sponsor us send us that yearly box you send people at Halloween I would love that oh that would be amazing wouldn't it yeah right maybe this yeah. is our chance <laughs> I, I want some of those gift boxes people me get too um well I hope that when you are able to talk about your secret project that we uh see you on Twitter so we can celebrate with you yes most definitely most definitely I, I shall post I shall post and um be rather proud of them yeah no I, I do love them in my book covers though that's I'm very fortunate and happy to be doing that so if we wanted to work with you tell us what to do What's, what's your like preferred method of getting in touch with you and and what do you want us to come to the table with? I think it, it, it's I think a bit like I explained earlier. I think just like an introductory, hi, I'm writing this, et cetera. Um, like I say, it's always great to have a blurb or a synopsis, anything like that, anything I can work on. Obviously, you need to know things like dates of completion and when these things need to happen. But ultimately, just a sort of email saying what the book's about, when you need it for, and 
how much artistic freedom I may have. And if they actually have ideas themselves or you, for example, would have an idea, you know, we could obviously discuss that concept and see how we can sort of um, develop that one as well. So yeah, that that's literally the process. It's very simple. I mean, do you job... prefer that people use like your website form? Yeah. I mean, to be honest, I, I get a lot of messages on Facebook and I get messages to my website more than anything. Um, but yeah, usually it's just an email and um, a job can be booked in like minutes because if someone comes to you and says that you like your work and they say, and you've got complete artistic freedom and here's a synopsis, here's a blurb, what do you think? And I totally dig it and think I can work with that. And then before you know it, that job's sort of booked in. And then, cool. like I say, it's the process of obviously whenever you've booked it in by, it might be a few months down the line or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that's when you start doing all your mood board stuff. But yeah, it, it's just basically, I think, trying to gauge if you, you're happy to work together and, you know, with each other and on, on the project itself. And if you think you can do it justice, really. Awesome. That's very eye-opening. It's cool to, it's cool to pick your brain on that. Can you tell <laughs> our listeners where we can find you online, like social media, like what your handles are and stuff? Okay. Um, you can find me at mattsethbarnes.com mainly. Uh, that would be my main website. Um, at Twitter, I'm at mattsethbarnes, M-A-T-T. S-E-F-F-B-A-R-N-E-S. I actually had to look how to spell my own damn name. Brilliant. Well, wow. <laughs> I was looking on the screen there, just making sure I got it right. So like, oh, bloke can't even spell his name. And, and we'll, Facebook, we'll tag you as well. So hopefully everyone will be able to find you, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And on Facebook, yeah, it's just Matt Seth Barnes. So it's all quite straightforward and rather uninteresting in terms of names, to be honest. Hey, it makes it easy to find you. Indeed. So. <laughs> As opposed to Brett, who um, has like a different handle on every platform and none of them are his name. So I'm always like, what, <laughs> what freaking handle am I using now? Yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I saw it on Twitter as well. I'm just like, oh, that's a different name, isn't it? And I was just, Is that the same bloke? Am I just contacted someone I'm going to talk to who doesn't know I'm talking to him? <laughs> See, Brett, this is your wake up call. Get it together. <laughs> yeah, it's very disappointing, Brett. I must admit, mate. Well, it has been so much fun chatting with you, chatting shit. Chatting um, shit. I really enjoyed chatting shit with you too, Chelsea. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for coming on. And um, I'm excited to uh, put this out in the world and have people meet you this way. Yeah, definitely. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me on as well. Yes, you are welcome. Um, all right. We will catch y'all later, Cutthroat Queens. Waking up in a bath of ice. I'm a victim of an organized You know it is true, you know this time you're never gonna get it But you already stole